So if you have a Bible uh, or you have an app that you want to open up, uh, know that if you open up your phone or your device and you, um, there's always this temptation to look at other things. And um, I, I guess that you know, the end result would be that God knows. So <laughs> pretending as though you're reading the Bible and you're really not, then you know, that's, that's for you to figure out with God. But if you want to open up and you're looking at uh, the book of Luke, uh, we're going to look at chapter 17, and uh, we're going to look at verses 11 and following. So I'll let you, if you have a Bible, need a chance to get there. I'll let you get a chance to get there. Um, I have a hard time believing that I'm actually going to live up to the introduction I just got, but we'll see how God works all out, because he knows what he's doing, and I don't. So there you go. Uh, again, Luke 17, uh, verse, uh, sorry, verse 11. And I'll just read it uh, straight through, uh, and then we can kind of go through it and On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered the village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go, and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked and asked, We're not, oh, sorry, I missed the verse. I'm getting old. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, We're not ten made clean, but the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith is made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're going to kind of go, uh, we're in the book of Luke. You, you guys are talking about stories of faith. This is a fantastic story of faith. Um, and we're looking at the third gospel. There's four gospels, uh, just to make sure we're all kind of on the same page. And in this particular gospel, there's actually a story told about lepers earlier on. And this is sort of the second story within this particular uh, gospel account to talk about um, lepers. And we're going to get a little more detail on lepers. But what I'm going to do today is really kind of go sort of verse by verse, word by word. And because I, I think there's something along the way that we can learn kind of about all the things that's just chock full with really good stuff this morning. So let's start with verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem. And something takes place. Is it that Jesus, in this particular moment, has a plan that this is what's going to take place? No, it's on his way. So much of what comes to us in terms of what God would call us to be attentive to, where we would want to be helpful to someone, isn't something where we show up at the soup kitchen, the service takes place, and we go home. So much of it is like this, like it is for Jesus, on the way to soccer practice, on the way to dinner, on the way to an important meeting, what are those interruptions that God brings us? For Jesus, it ends up being ten guys screaming at him, which I think, you know, hopefully doesn't happen to you. If it does, then bring him back to the church and let's talk about it, because that would be amazing to have ten lepers standing on the side of the road yelling at you, but we digress. Verse 11, continuing, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Samaria and Galilee. So, what significance does this have? Why is the author deciding that this is an important piece of information to tell us? Well, Galilee is the region thus far where things have gone well for Jesus, and Samaria, not so much. 
And Galilee is where sort of God's people would be. They would be the Jews. They would be the people that would be sort of in line with all the things that are going on in Samaria. If we're talking about the Jews and Samarians, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But the Jews and Samarians, let's just say simply that they just don't get along. Okay? They, they don't get along. There, there is, um, they're, they're adamantly opposed to one another. And, and so there's kind of this, but there's also this sense that he's not specific about where in that journey he is. He's sort of between the two. So there's not a sense of the people that he's going to meet are specifically already sort of enumerated. We, we don't know exactly who he's going to meet, and we kind of see that the story is presented in such a way to sort of have some vagueness to it. Are you following me? You're still going. So we're still in verse 11, now we're going to verse, verse 12. As he was going into a village. Is this a Sumerian village? Is this a Galilean village? We don't know. We're still saying kind of vague. Storyteller wants to hold some things back so that at the end there's this, you know, a great punchline at the end. We do that, right? We don't tell the punchline of the joke first and then tell the joke. We, we wait. Right? So this is the story sort of building up as it's going. Verse 12 continues. Ten men who had leprosy met him. Let's talk about leprosy. Today there's not a, a lot of people who necessarily deal with leprosy or, or suffer from it. And so to have a better understanding of leprosy is a good thing moving forward. There's a loss of sensitivity and feeling in your skin. The, the greatest danger actually for someone with, um, with leprosy would be that they would potentially be standing against a, a fire... Uh, maybe a fire pit or something that's hot and metal, and they would lean up against it and they wouldn't know it because the sensitivity in their skin is gone. It's not necessarily life-threatening, but it is significantly life-altering. It is then, if you have this disease, you end up being an outcast. You, you live outside of society. And, and there's, there's this, it's interesting, it's a very long incubation period. So you may have it, yet not know that you have it. It is in you, incubating, but you don't know that you have it until the physical manifestations actually show itself. It's hard to know where you got it. It's not just because it happened so long ago. It's hard to know where you would have gotten it. It's very contagious. It's slow-growing, and it happens to those usually living in poverty. So, ten men who had leprosy met him. Stern verse 12, we're looking on. They stood at a distance. They understood that there are rules in terms of how you interact. If you have this disease, you don't walk up and sort of say, help me, help me, help me. They would understand that there would be a distance from here to there. They would keep their distance. There would be a respectful distance, and they would say, they would then give the request from a distance. But it further emphasizes the fact that they are outsiders to who Jesus is. You're getting this picture, right? It's not just they're outsiders because they have it, but they're physically and geographically and every, in every sense of the way, they are outsiders. Verse 13. And he called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They made a loud and public request. Do you ever call out? Do you ever call his name out loud in front of other people? Another thing here is they knew his name. How did they know his name? The, the, the author doesn't necessarily, the writer doesn't necessarily go into how he, but they knew who he was. They knew his name and they knew to scream out his name to make sure that they got his attention. Do you know his name? Do you know who to call to when you're having the difficulties and challenges of life? They knew he could them. Do you know that? They put 
him in charge over him by, by saying master, they put him in a place of authority. They put themselves below him, put him to the upper place and said, we're going to come under your authority just by giving him the title of master. They're saying, you have authority. You have the ability to do this. We're putting ourselves under that. And we're going to be subject to whatever you have for us as the master. Do you put Jesus in that place in your life? We keep going. Verse 14. When he saw them. Do you recognize if you do all those things, if you, you, you respond to Jesus in a particular kind of way, that the end result is that you are seen by Jesus. This is not a small little part of the verse. When he saw them, he didn't ignore them. He, he, he could have. I think he could have kind of kept it's like, this is not on the agenda today. You know, I, I, if I look down at my, my, my day planner, if I, if I take a look, I've, you know, I've got a, a different kind of healing, I've got a, a place where I've got to teach you guys, I don't have time for this, no? He sees them. In our, our, our hour of need, we cry out, he sees us in those moments. Verse 14, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. Now, we have to make sure we have an understanding of, of sort of this. The priest was the, the ticket by which you got back into society. The, the priest is the one who would declare the person clean. It wasn't that the priest actually brought you cleanliness. It would be that somehow or another, medically, spiritually, something would happen. If you were made clean, the way that you entered back into society was through the priest. And so Jesus says, go to the priest. What's interesting here is it's ambiguous. Again, it's ambiguous. We're talking about a Sumerian priest, a Samaritan priest, or are we talking about a Jewish priest? Everyone at this point in the story who is the listener is assuming it's probably a, a Jewish priest, but in some ways, he just says go to a priest. He doesn't say go to the Jewish priest. In, in, in the language, he could have done more to actually explain if you want to go to a Jewish priest. It wasn't that. It wasn't that there was. It was go to the person who's the gatekeeper of letting you back in society, whoever that is. And bring them back in. That wasn't the means by which that person was going to be healed. It was the means by which they would be able to enter back into society and have someone to declare them to be clean. Are we following along here? So he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. So, so the expectation would be, I think in most cases what we do is we pray about something and there's a sense of like, we want it now. It's instantaneous. It's going to happen right now. I pray for this. This needs to happen. But it's not necessarily the way that Jesus always works. If we look back in the scriptures, if we go back to the Hebrew scriptures and we look in 2 Kings chapter 5, we meet a guy named Naaman or Naaman. I was interested in his name, and I guess later on as you learn Hebrew languages, you, you like want to sound like you're really. So you say Naaman. He's a two A in a row. When you're reading a children's book, it's just easier to say Naaman. Your child's sort of like, Naaman, are you stuttering? Or is that actually like the person's name? So Naaman is cleansed of his leprosy. But what's interesting is that the process by which he's cleansed is not necessarily this instantaneous process, right? It is a process where he is told to go and bathe himself seven times in the Jordan. And in the process of doing that, and at the beginning, he's like, I'm not going to go through this. This is ridiculous. And they said, well, if they asked you to do something great, wouldn't you do it? Well, yes. Well, just go by, bathe yourself seven times. You'll be cleansed. You'll be ready to go. There's a sense here. We need to act in anticipation of our cleansing. 
We don't need to have an expectation that's going to happen this minute. If we're promised the healing, then we need to live out our lives in such a way that eventually we will trust that it will come in God's time. Verse 15, one of them. Mathematicians out, of the, uh, out there, I'm so glad that he knew exactly what he was doing. He put 10, 1, you can all do those percentages. That's, if there was 11 and there was 1, it'd be some 89.9% or something. No, it's 90%, right? 90% of the people weren't thankful. 90% of the people didn't come back, and we're surprised by this, right? Come on. If you were healed, if you were the outsider, and now you're the insider, if you were the one that was completely left out in the dark, and now you're able to come in and have a normal life, wouldn't you come back and say thank you? A simple thank you. It doesn't need to be a big thank you. I mean, there's a big thank you that's going to come from this one person, right? Just a simple thank you. Only 10% come back. 10% come back and say thank Verse 15, when he saw he was healed, came back. He came back. Do we go back and say thank you, or do we give credit to ourselves? Or do we give credit to someone else? Do we give credit to the urgent care? Do we give credit to somebody else? Or do we come back to the one who makes all things new? Verse 15 and 16 continues. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. When we thank God, this is kind of a big deal, right? He's going to praise God. He's going to throw himself at his feet and he's going to thank him. There's a sense that it's the entirety of who he is. He is giving thanks to Jesus for the healing that he's received. And then the big punchline. The punchline that I think we have a hard time understanding exactly what the punchline is. Because at this point, more than likely, the hearer would say, well, th- we've already heard this story earlier in the scriptures. But here comes the punchline. Here's the place where the ambiguity makes sense. Because the story is, and he was a Samaritan. And for us, we're like, okay. But this would be, modern day storytelling would sort of go this way. It would be like, well, there was, you know, this... College in Los Angeles, and, 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 and let's pretend as all of you are graduates of UCLA, and I talk about a college in Los Angeles, and then we get through it, and, and the end punchline is, and the guy from USC is the guy who came back and said thank you, right? And you would all say, the guy from USC? You've got to be crazy. Now, we can switch that. I don't want to offend anyone. We can say, the guy from UCLA, that's the one who was thankful. It doesn't really get at the essence of it, but, but it gives you a sort of at least towards, you know, the idea. Maybe this is a, a murderer. Maybe this is a class bully. Maybe this is a member of the KK. Maybe this is someone you just don't expect is the one who goes back and says thank you to Jesus. And if that person is the one who goes back and says thank you, then why aren't the rest of us doing that as well? What is it that has kept us from being in the place that we would go forward and be thankful to Jesus alongside that one who decided to go back. Verse 17, Jesus asked, We're not all ten cleansed? Where are all the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except the foreigner? So if the Samaritan responds with thankfulness, how much more should we respond with gratitude and thanksgiving and appreciation? First thing, it's interesting, let's bring this to sort of practical terms for you and I, right? We don't necessarily realize or recognize that we need healing. Because I think we suffer from a thing I would sort of name as spiritual leprosy. 
Spiritual lovers, these interesting. Go back to the definitions we looked at before. Loss of feeling and sensitivity. Where are we in our culture? Everyone is so in their social media. So much, they, they have no, there's no, we can write the most nasty, awful, horrible things about that Democrat or that Republican or that particular person. We, we have no sense of feeling or, or sensitivity towards others because we're so wrapped up in this social media thing. We've lost feeling and sensitivity. It's not necessarily life-threatening, this spiritual leprosy that we experience, but it is significantly life-altering. We're an outcast. We're separated from community because we don't have to talk to anybody. We just have to sit on our phone for hours and hours and we feel connected, but in fact, we're not really connected at all. Long incubation period. Use, this, use these devices long enough, use them irresponsibly long enough, we just completely lose sight of the fact that we're not connected to community at all. Is it contagious? You bet. Is it slow-growing? You bet. We are suffering from spiritual leprosy, and so we're in a place where we all need to receive that healing. And if we put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ, and that healing has come, and that healing then hopefully brings us to a place of being grateful and having gratitude, but why is it there are obstacles to gratitude? What are the obstacles? What are the things that keep us from being grateful? One of them is, I just think, is just distractification. We're just distracted. Shiny thing. You know, <laughs> you know, food, coffee, something else. Oh, I got a text. I was just talking to Becca, but now, oh, no, I've got a text. So we're just distracted. So something amazing happens in our midst. We see Jesus do something and we're, oh, but i got to move on to stuff. i got to email here. i got to respond to it. We're, we're distracted. What? See? I even am distracted. <laughs> we're forgetful. So much of the Hebrew scriptures talks about this word zakar, remember, remember, remember. And, and for us, it's like, oh, we serve God, we do these things, but then we forget that we do those things, and so we just sort of live life and do our thing. And he says, remember, remember. We have an overconfidence in our own abilities. This last week, my wife was on her bike. Um, she was running along 10, 15 miles an hour. It's going to make a turn. Not a big deal. She's done hundreds and hundreds of times. She's done an Ironman, 112 miles, 26 miles, too. She's amazing, right? But she made the turn, she missed, and so you'll get to meet her later, and she has a big, huge strawberry here on her shoulder, and big, huge bruise on her arm, and, you know, cut her thing, she got four stitches in her chin, all the rest of it, and what's my response? My response is, she calls, I pick her up, I take her to a nurse friend of ours, because I don't want to go to the urgent care and sit for hours and hours if I don't need to, right? So I take her to the nurse friend first, she looks one, takes one look at the chin and says, yep, you're going to need stitches. Put her back in the car, go get, you know, go to urgent care. Thankfully, there's no one at urgent care. What? Thursday mornings, 10 a.m., that's the time to cut your chin open, I guess. <laughs> we go to urgent care, sew her up, do her thing, we move on with life, everything's fine. What happened? Where was the gratefulness to God? We, we, we took care of it. We didn't need to be grateful to God for anything. Hold on a second. Stop. She could have been, as she was turning that corner, gotten out of control and been hit by a car. She'd been going faster and hit her head. She'd be dead. But we're so self-sufficient. We can so take care of ourselves. We can so, so take care of many of the things that happen. There's no sense that we need to be thankful for anything. 
There's no sense that we need to have gratitude because we can handle it on our own. We've become such a self-sufficient society. We can handle it on our own. But many times, as she'll tell you, that day, I just said, I'm glad you're okay. And she'd say, I'm glad I'm okay. I said, no, I'm, praise Jesus that you're okay. Because I don't want to raise three kids on my own. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be funny, but it wasn't that funny. <laughs> I don't want to do it again. So, what are the other obstacles that we have towards gratitude? We're spoiled. We always get what we want, when we want it, how we want it. There's a prevailing wind of entitlement. I deserve this. I don't need to be grateful for this. I deserve this. Listen to the voices of the next generation. Are you thankful for what God has given you? Nah. I got it. I deserve this. I grew up in San Marino. I got it all. I don't need anything, right? I don't need Jesus. I don't need to thank him for anything. A lot of obstacles towards gratitude. And yet, the end, verse 19, says, Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. It's your faithfulness that makes you well. A couple conclusions. Notice that there's a big shift here from you go to the temple to worship. In this particular situation, the real worship takes place at the feet of Jesus. And if we have to understand that, our worshiping lives start at the feet of Jesus. Second, I think our view of the kingdom of God many times can be very narrow, especially as Westerners, as Americans. We don't understand what it is to be the outsider. We have to have a broader view of the kingdom of God of who is the outsider. And finally, I think we need to begin to sort of flex our spiritual muscles and uncover ways to be thankful in the church in all circumstances. And we'll explore this in just a few minutes. But I'm going to pray, and then I'll come back and give you some homework to do. This is, church is really all about having homework, right? You can actually do the homework in class if you'd like before you get out of that. But uh, it is good for us to sort of stretch those things. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Thank you. We thank you for the breath that you just took. We thank you that we can see the sky, hear the birds, and smell the fresh cut grass, taste good coffee, and feel the summer heat in our face. Help us to be the 10% that continually return to say thank you. Empowers. Help us overcome our own spiritual opportunities. Thank you.